invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. I'm teaching through the book of Hebrews this summer, and we actually started there on Easter Sunday. We're in chapter 2 today. Anybody know the famous last two words you ever hear from a redneck? Who said it? Watch this. Watch this. Because right after that, something's about to explode or go terribly wrong. And I started, the title of the message is, Don't Miss This. I started just to put, watch this. (laughs) Because I've heard that a lot. Unfortunately, a few times I've said that. Something good is not about to happen when that happens. It's so important to pay attention. Anybody here ever watched a Little League or Dixie Youth League baseball game? Anybody ever coached one of those? What's the hardest thing for eight-year-olds? Just pay attention. And whether you're a parent or a coach is going to be determining how you're going to answer this next question. Why do they need to pay attention? If you're a coach, it's because you hope they'll make a play on the ball. If you're a parent, you hope they won't get hit in the head by the ball. Pay attention. You watch eight, nine-year-olds in the outfield. What are they doing? I've seen them with their glove on top of their head. I've seen them sitting down. I've seen them picking flowers or weeds. (laughs) I remember as an eight-year-old, eight- or nine-year-old, our coach made us at the plate do something. It was a little bit embarrassing because no other team had to do this. We had to say yes or no based on whether we saw the stitches on the baseball when it was crossing the plate. Now, whether we swung at it or not, we had to say yes or no. What was he trying to do? He was trying to get us to focus on the ball. It's a lot easier to hit the ball if you're actually looking at it. Same thing is true in the outfield. It's a lot easier to catch it if you'll keep your eye on the ball important to pay attention. I learned that lesson the hard way this week. Last Friday, I'm getting ready to leave for the weekend. It was my anniversary, mine and my wife's anniversary weekend, and I had some grease on the stove. I cooked french fries the night before. And you know how Crisco has a term, my word is coagulate. You know how it kind of goes back solid? So I decided I'm going to just turn the fire on a little bit, not the fire, just the stove, and let it heat up, and then I'm going to pour it back into the Crisco can. Well, I forgot about it. Cindy's laughing because she and Rick live in my neighborhood. Did you, did you know I about burned my house down? My wife about burned the yard up a few years ago. I about burned the house down last Friday. When I realized there was something wrong is when I noticed smoke, and by the time I got in the kitchen, flames are shooting out of the top of the pot. And you got a couple of choices. There's a, there's a fire extinguisher right there. I had a fire extinguisher. But you know what happens if you use a fire extinguisher? It makes a mess. And you've got to go buy a new fire extinguisher. So I thought, all right, I'm not doing that. So I'm just going to put a top on this pot. Well, that didn't help. Flames are still shooting out from the side of it. The kitchen's smoking up. So I decide I'm going to grab a couple of pot holders, and I'm carrying this thing out the door. I learned two very important lessons. If you're carrying a flaming pot of grease, two things I learned. Number one, the faster you walk with it, the more the flames blow back at you. So I singed my eyebrows. The other thing, if you're going to carry a flaming pot of grease out the door, it'd be a good idea to open the door before you grab the flaming pot of grease. Well, I didn't do part two of that equation. I got to the door and realized the door's not open. And there's a pot of flaming hot grease. So I, with one hand, hold on to the grease. With the other hand, am opening the door. Well, that's about the time the grease is sloshing on my hand and my feet. 
Now, everybody that I've told the story to said, did you drop the grease? No. I manned up and got it out the door. The problem is now I have scars and ugly places on my hands that are still kind of welted up from the lesson I learned that if you just, what, what would happen if I had stood there for a minute and watched the grease, none of this would happen. Now, my wife would tell you if you'd use a fire extinguisher, this wouldn't happen either. All right. But why is it so important to pay attention? Well, the writer of Hebrews brings us to that in Hebrews chapter 2. And keep in mind, this is early in the book of Hebrews. He's writing to a group of believers and non-believers, mainly Jews, probably in Rome or near Rome in Italy. And here's what he says to them. Let's just look at the first four verses. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention. All right, do you get that? For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also, testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. What does He say? He says, for this reason. Now, you've got to ask the question, what's He been talking about? Well, you go back to chapter 1 and keep in mind when the New Testament writers wrote these letters, they didn't write chapters. We've come along behind it to make it more readable in Scripture. We've added verses and chapters. This was just a letter. So he's made a case in what we have made 14 verses of chapter 1 to say this. He has highlighted the supremacy, the superiority of Christ and the message of the gospel. He has said things like this. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of God's nature. He upholds all things by the word of His power. Then He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of the kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. He's laid out a case for the superiority and the supremacy of Christ. He says, because of that, because Jesus is God, and because Jesus has come in the flesh, because Jesus had, has paid the penalty for our sins. For this reason, you need to pay close attention. In fact, he uses the word must, meaning this is necessary. And, and again, early in the letter, many chapters to come. So he's not summing anything up yet. It's just right here at the beginning. He says, hey, let me get your attention, church. You need to pay attention to this. Pay much closer attention. Attention. Listen, God's Word demands that kind of response. God's Word demands when God speaks, He ought to have our attention. Now, I've sat in church before, especially as a teenager, where after the service was over, my parents or my wife's parents, if I was over with her parents, you know, as we were dating through high school, said, what did you think of the message this morning? And I was having a hard time remembering what the message was about. Why? Because I wasn't paying attention. I was doodling. I was looking around the congregation. I and mean, there's a lot more distractions now. You know, now you can be playing Angry Birds or Word Warp or something. I mean, you know, you can be texting your friends or whatever. There's a lot more 
distractions now than there were back then. But it's important that we pay close attention. Why? Because if you don't, you'll drift away. I remember probably 10 or 11 years old walking into a restaurant with my parents. I grew up in Macon, Georgia, and walking into this restaurant, there was a book. You know, you've seen sometimes they have these racks in, in places. Some, sometimes they have like advertisement or uh, maybe even tracks, gospel tracks. Well, there was a book there that says, what I must do to go to hell. I thought, well, that's interesting. I don't want to go there, but I'd like to know what it takes to get there. So I opened this book up. book says on the title, what I, must go to, what I Must Do to Go to Hell. Open it up. There was nothing inside. What's the writer trying to say? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a cheap book to write where you don't have to put words in it. What's he saying? Just do nothing. Just do nothing. If you don't pay attention, if you miss the message, if you ignore it or reject it, the, the die is already cast for you. You've missed God. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you must pay close attention to what we have heard. And what he's saying is, listen, you've heard the gospel message. You've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and he rose the third day. And by faith in him, you can have eternal life. You've heard that message? But if you don't pay attention, what's going to happen? You're going to drift away. Literally means you will flow carelessly by. It's the picture of bringing a boat into dock. If you've ever captained a boat, and I've never captained a large one, but I've been on some small boats where it was my responsibility to get them to the dock, and if you don't pay attention, the tide or just a wave hits you at the wrong moment, you're going to miss the dock. Well, you probably don't have catastrophe happen because you can back the boat up or you know throw a line to somebody and make them get corrected. But what he's basically saying is if you, don't pay away, if you don't pay attention, you're going to drift away. You know what I've discovered in the Christian life? Drifting is never intentional. Why do we drift? We drift because we quit paying attention. We drift because we take our eyes off the prize. We take our eyes off of Jesus. And before you know it, you can be going through the religious motions and you have missed the point of the message. In our day, we'd say this, we're just going with the flow. What happens if you go with the flow? You're going to end up downstream, and you may have missed where you were supposed to dock. And in a spiritual sense, if you go with the flow, if you just go with the rest of the world, you're going to miss Jesus. And it's too important of a message. So he says, pay close attention so that you don't drift away. These are folks who had come close to salvation. They had heard the message. They may even be still in the church. But they have never come to a point in their life where they've trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and given their life to Him. And they've just kind of drifted away. It's dangerous to think you're safe without Christ. You drift when you lose focus and get distracted. And can I tell you, Satan is a master at distracting you. He doesn't care if you're religious. He'd rather you not go to church, but he knows that's not going to change your life. What he wants you to do is never give your life to Christ. If he can get you to go through every other motion and just miss that one, he has distracted you away. So i got a few questions. Every now and then, people, we need to ask ourselves this question or a series of questions. Now, just, if you want to jot these down, they're not going to be on the screen. But it's just part of knowing that you're paying close attention. One is to ask yourself the question, am I drifting? 
Look back over your Christian life the last year or look back over your life the last year and just ask yourself the question, am I drifting? Do the things of Christ affect me like they used to? In other words, do I still have a passion for the things of God or has it become boring or old hat to me? Let me tell you, if it has, it isn't because God drifted. It's not because His Word drifted. It's because you drifted. Do I crave the things of God? His Word, His worship, fellowship with His people. If you find yourself getting bored in the worship service, it may not be the music leader's fault. It may not be the preacher's fault. It may be you. If you find yourself singing hymns of praise and they're dry as dust, it's probably you. You've drifted. How about this one? Have I substituted busyness for relationship with a living God? I think that's one of Satan's biggest traps is to get you involved in religion and just get you busy in religion and you miss relationship with God. Listen, if you ever find yourself saying, you know, I'm just kind of burned out. Let me tell you, walking with Jesus, you don't get burned out. Trying to do the Christian life apart from Jesus, you get burned out in a hurry. Why? Because you were never intended to live the Christian life on your strength. It's impossible. You can't do it. It will frustrate you. It will burn you out. And I think some people have walked away from the gospel for that very reason. They tried it without Jesus. <laughs> That's crazy. And here's the warning. Pay close attention or else. Now, pay close attention. Really, it ought to be enough reason that he's just outlined the superiority, supremacy of Christ. For that reason alone, you ought to pay close attention. But if you don't, if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, you're saying, what's the word spoken through angels? Let me just share a few verses. Jot these down. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai, talking about Moses, and who was with your fathers, and he received living oracles to pass on to you. The angels were involved in the transmission of the message in the Old Testament. Acts seven fifty three. You have received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you did not keep it. Galatians 3.19. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So if the word given through angels proved unalterable, in other words, if it was a sin to transgress against that law of the Old Testament, how much greater? the law of God's grace and mercy of the New Testament. Every transgression and disobedience. It's interesting. The word transgression here is not the normal word for sin, but it's a word that means a violation. This is a sin of commission. This is to willfully step across the line. This is to willfully commit an act that you know is in violation. It's intentionally doing what you know is wrong. That's what transgression means. But then he also uses the word disobedience. This is more the inattention. This is the sin of omission. This is imperfect hearing or just allowing your ears to be deliberately shut. If the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and there was a penalty and a payment for every transgression and sin of disobedience received just penalty, if that's the case, then how much greater is going to be? if we miss the message of the gospel. Those folks received a just penalty. Just because it's God. God can't do anything that's unjust because it's His character is just. 
And it's interesting, the word he uses for penalty later on in Hebrews is used twice to talk about reward. So what's he saying? It's really a payment. It's what is due to you. You do the things God's told you to, he's got a reward. You don't do those things, there's a penalty for that. In fact, Romans 6.23 puts it this way, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So pay close attention. Then moving on to verse 3, he talks about this great salvation. I love this. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You notice what he does? He uses the word we. He he includes himself with the hearers. Listen, this would even be true of me if I neglected the salvation that God's offered. So I'm putting myself in your camp. But listen, how great if we escape this salvation, how, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The word escape means to flee or to vanish or to run away. It expresses the idea that through salvation there's deliverance. Apart from it, there's not. And the word neglect goes back to drifting. It's just to neglect. How will we escape if we neglect, if we're careless of so great a salvation? Listen, these folks didn't reject it. They just ignored it. I want to bring us 2,000 years into the future, folks. That's what I see a lot in the church in America. Yeah, there are people that are rejecting Christ. There are people that, you know, atheists or whatever, that don't like it, that you're praying at your school or you're doing this or whatever. But you know what? Most people that are missing it, it's just because they're neglecting it. Not because they made a conscious decision, but folks, to neglect it is to decide to say no. In fact, here's the scary thing. You're either saying no to Jesus That's one way to neglect the salvation. You can say no to Jesus. The other is say yes to everything but Jesus. Which is the same thing, right? If you say yes to everything but Jesus, you have in effect said no to Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is warning them, how will we escape? If you look at the Old Testament, you see the fact that God punished sin. In fact, there's people that will read the Old Testament and almost feel like it's just not fair the way He punished sin. Sin. You're going to tell God He wasn't fair? In fact, you know what? I don't even want to approach God and ask Him to be fair. Because what do I get if He's fair? If I get what I deserve, I spend eternity separated from Him. So I'm not going to God and saying, let's be fair about this. I'm going to God and saying, be merciful. I need your grace. I need your mercy. So if in the Old Testament people received the penalty, how much more so now that the good news of the gospel has come? And what is that message? I just want to walk you through a few verses in Romans if you want to jot these down. Some folks call this the Roman road. And I've done this in my Bible sometimes where I'll just, right at the beginning of Romans, I'll write down this first verse. And then at that verse, I'll write down the next verse. So that if I'm walking somebody through this, it'll remind me where the verses, where the next verses are. First thing you've got to know is God loves you. Romans 5.8 God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the truth is, we have a loving God who has sent a Savior. He's been merciful. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, what did the angel announce to the shepherds on the hillside? I got good news of great joy. For unto you has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news. God loves you. But backing up in Romans, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
What does that mean? What does sin mean? It means missing the mark. That's the literal meaning of the word sin. It means there's been a target out there that you've aimed at, and every effort you tried missed the target. Our arrows fall short. All have sinned. All have missed the mark. Who does that include? Me and everybody in this room. Who does it not include? Jesus. The only one who lived a perfect life was Jesus. So everybody else that's been born fits into Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we got a problem. Good news, God loves us. Problem is, I'm a sinner. What has sin done? It separated me from God. So what's the solution? Romans 6.23. For the wages, the penalty, the punishment, what you earn from sin, the wages of sin is death. And if it stopped there, it's not good news yet. But the rest of the verse says this, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then the last passage in Romans is Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the mouth, or for the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Folks, in a nutshell, it's bigger than that, but in a nutshell, that's the gospel. God loves you. We're separated from him by sin, and there's nothing we can do about it. But he's done something about it. He's provided a way through Jesus Christ to be forgiven and to know God and to spend eternity with him. So what do we do? We confess with our mouth that He's Lord and we believe in our heart that He's raised from the dead and you will be saved. One of the things that separates us from the demons, because the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. What's the big thing that separates us? They will not confess Him as Lord. There's coming a day in Philippians chapter 2, it tells us one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means that one day the demons will have to bow and acknowledge what they've been unwilling to acknowledge for this whole time. Jesus is Lord and there's no other. So there's good news. If you've got your Bibles with you, I just want to share one passage, just an illustration of this from Luke chapter 19. I was in Greenville last week and went to the church closest to our hotel and it turned out it was... It was a church that one of our former staffers here at the chapel founded and is the pastor of, and he was preaching last Sunday morning. He shared from Luke, and as, as he was preaching, I just thought, that perfectly illustrates my message for next week. It's the triumphal entry of Jesus, and I'm just going to read a few verses, verses one, 41 through 44, Luke chapter 19. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, riding on a what? A donkey. Crowds are crying, Hosanna. The religious leaders don't like it. What do they do? Tell them to shut up. Tell these people to be quiet. And what does Jesus say? Hey, if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks will cry out. Why? Because glory is coming into the city. Here's what Jesus says, verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will leave you in one one stone upon another. Not one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. What's Jesus saying? 
You didn't pay attention. You missed it. God was in your midst and you ignored it. You neglected it. You refused to acknowledge it. And how does that make Jesus feel in verse 41? He weeps over that. Why? Because He has come to remove this penalty and curse of sin. And the very people He came to rejected it. Oh yeah, on Sunday they cried Hosanna, but by Friday they were crying crucify. Last thing. God's made it so clear. The way Paul puts it over in Romans, he says, they're without excuse. His, his invisible attributes have been evident since the creation of the world. You walk outside and see the beauty of the creation, you have to acknowledge there's got to be a creator. And there's some people foolish enough to worship the creation. But it shouldn't cause us to worship the creation. It ought to tell us there's an intelligent designer b- behind all of this. So we don't worship the creation. We worship the creator who's put it all here. And so you're without excuse. It was first spoken through our Lord. Three ways that it's been spoken. It was first spoken by our Lord. Jesus came and declared it. Jesus spent a little over three years in public ministry. Preached all over the area of that time and His words are recorded for us in Scripture. He's still preaching it. The good news. What does He say? Things like this. Come unto Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy. Follow me. I have the words of life. Jesus proclaimed it. And folks, his communication is infinitely superior to the angels that were used in the Old Testament. But it was also confirmed by those who heard. Who is that? That's the people alive at the time. That's the apostles. That's the writer of Scripture. It's very possible that the people, the writer of Hebrews is writing... Two, never heard firsthand Jesus declare anything. But they've heard it now through those who did hear it, through the apostles. The message has gotten to them. In fact, there was a church there of believing, people who believed in Jesus Christ. The problem is, this was largely a Jewish congregation that was still struggling with, is he the Messiah that they talk about in the Old Testament? And because Jesus didn't fit the protocol that they had in their mind, Ignoring the fact he fit every protocol of the Old Testament, every promise. They missed it. Many of them did. So it's been testified by Jesus. It has been confirmed by those who heard. In fact, many of those, go back and look at all 12 of the apostles. How did they die? It is incredible to know, of course, Judas hung himself, but the other 11 went to their grave professing that Jesus is Lord and he was buried and rose on the third day. And they were given the option, if you'll just quit preaching that, we won't kill you. And yet you go back and look at some of them were boiled in oil. Some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were skinned alive. Why? Because they couldn't not say it because they knew the truth. In fact, I love it in Acts when they tell the disciples, you've got to quit telling people about Jesus. They say, well, you figure out whether it's right or wrong if we tell people about Jesus. But we cannot stop. Tell them what we've seen and heard. So the message had gotten there, but God also testified with them. God has spoken loud and clear. How's He done it? First of all, by signs. Literally an indication. God's given signs that the message is true. That Jesus is who He said He was. 
He's done it through wonders. People all were awed and amazed at the wonders of Christ, but even since then, the things of God. He's testified through various miracles. That's that word dunamis, dynamite, miraculous power. Not just through Jesus, but what had been happening since Jesus. Even the disciples themselves had healed people of diseases, had performed other miracles, had raised people from the dead. And that wasn't to draw attention to himself. It was to validate the message of the gospel. In fact, my favorite definition of miracle is this, something only God gets credit for. It's not a miracle if you do it. But it's a miracle when God does something way beyond us. And through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not, not even the normal word they use for gift here. It's not the word charisma or charismatic here. It's, it's the word meaning a separation, a distribution. But I love the way he closes. He says, the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. What does that mean? Not my will. Not me praying for a certain gift. It's God saying, by my will, by my sovereign act, here's how I'm enabling you for ministry. And so God's testified. We had Jesus through the pages of the New Testament. We've had the apostles who also wrote letters and books of the New Testament and have begun this spread of the gospel. What happened right after Jesus was crucified? Not long after that, the church was dispersed. In A.D. 70, Israel was overrun by the Romans and folks had to flee for their lives. You know what that did? It took the gospel away from Jerusalem. It took it into the uttermost parts of the earth. It's how you and I know about it. And then God has continued to bear witness in that. In fact, John puts it this way. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. If you've come to faith in Jesus, you've trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, God's spirit lives within you. and He constantly is bearing witness that you're one of God's children. And He convicts you when you mess up. He comforts you when you need it. And folks, it's good news. Peter, one of the apostles, put it this way in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The writer of Hebrews, in just the beginning of Hebrews, has said, let me just sum it up this way. You better pay attention to this. This is too important to miss. In fact, if you don't pay attention, you're going to drift away from it. You're going to miss it. Instead of anchoring at the dock of Jesus Christ, you're going to be downstream because you've just gone with the flow. But here's the good news. In Christ, I'm forgiven. I'm a brand new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And bottom line, I'm a child of God. And the Bible says that there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Let's pray together. As we bow our heads and just block out distractions right now, don't be thinking about the person next to you, but ask yourself that question. Have I paid attention? Or have I drifted? You know what? It's possible to sit in church week after week and hear the message and never respond. How will you respond to Jesus today? I invite you today to come to Christ. We're not a church. We don't give come forward invitations, but we're here available to talk to you. If you're with a group, 
I want to encourage you after this prayer, if you need to talk to someone about your relationship with Christ, talk to one of your leaders. I'll be standing at the back with our staff. We'd be happy to talk to you if you've got any questions. Pay close attention that you don't drift away. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, it's not our message, it's yours, and you've borne witness to it. Jesus declared it. The apostles confirmed it. And now, Father, through these years, you've continued to bear witness to it and testify to it. So, God, help us that we not miss it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.